Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Before we start, um, this isn't a commercial, but this is this is heartfelt, and it's not about you guys right now. So to, this podcast is coming out on Tuesday, and um, today, Tuesday, Seth Godin's new book is out. It's called This Is Marketing, and um, it is as much, it is a marketing book, and if you're interested in marketing or how to speak to your tribe or how to build an audience, great book, but you know what? If you're interested in what makes human beings tick, um, it's really like the best book I could recommend. Um, I read a couple drafts of it and I have to say it's uh, really a tremendous work and Seth wouldn't want me to say any more so you can find and discover things about it as you read. But go get Seth Godin's new book, This Is Marketing. Okay, so Seth Godin is the person who's been on this podcast the most, but very few people have made three <laughs> appearances on the podcast. And today we have two guests, one of whom is... Uh, almost the reigning champion of appearances, Mike yeah. Berbiglia. Welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. And Mike's uh, wife, and who's also a creative partner and a wonderful poet whose new book, Little Astronauts, came out today. You write under the name J. Hope Stein. Yes. But your mm. name's Jen. That's true. And because um, I'm not going to call you J. No, you don't have to. As we're sitting here, I could call you Flo, but that seems... Wrong no, somehow. Chloe. I mean, Chloe, no. and I could, you know, call you Mo, but that seems <laughs> like too inside. Too inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is a, a truly auspicious time to have you both here because, Mike, you're opening your one man show on Broadway tonight, Sunday night, yeah. while we're recording. Yeah, these the official opening. It was very, yeah, it's very strange. It well, you know, obviously, this is the moment. This it really is. is the moment, and there's a few moments happening today in real time. Um, so one is my Broadway debut, and the other is that Jen is basically coming out as a poet uh, to really her, even the public and her family. She was a, a poet under, you know, writing on her pseudonym for years and years. Wait, Jen, and Jen has some poems in the show and also additional material helped you write That's the right. show. yep. And the show is about the two of you and your daughter. So it's a big Birbiglia family night. It's the moment. And uh, <laughs> I'm, dude, sorry. Dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian. You can't. You have no, to no, stop. No, I'm you sorry, can't. Brian. You can't. But you named the podcast. We're having a moment. You have to own this. I don't have to put the podcast up. <laughs> <laughs> I can just, when we can just all talk and then it can be nothing. I mean, this is the problem when your good friends come on your podcast. They can just take it over. Um. Okay, so I didn't realize, though, because from the moment Mike ever mentioned you to me, and perhaps it's because my wife's a writer, yeah. and the way Amy, um, who's been on the pod, the way she writes is very spare and poetic. Um, he's always said that you're a poet, and you and I talked about it when I was at your house. So uh, I didn't realize that this was a secret. It's we'll talk about like, that. Well, it's been kind of a slow coming out, I guess. Um, but Mike, you know, Mike's a talker, so he would tell people... <laughs> <laughs> and I would be so upset with him. I'd be like, I told you, I don't want anyone to know. Like I'm secretly writing. It's a secret thing. And then it starts to be more like, like if we're around some people, sometimes he'll like whisper to me, can I tell them about this, the poem you wrote today? And I'll be like, no, you cannot tell them about the poem I wrote today. Um, so it's been that kind of thing. But it's not like he was but revealing your works and lighter and stuff for you to shoot heroin. No, like it, what, what, what is it about being a poet that felt to you not, I know, not shameful, mm -hmm. but felt. Uh, I mean, what was it? You you felt pretentious about it. You felt until it. Like, what 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 were you worried people were going to judge? 
Um, I do think I was worried about the people that I would be judged. Um, I think that I just felt like I needed to protect myself and maybe just sort of go into a little bit of a space to figure out what I'm writing and why I'm writing and what I have to say without any influence whatsoever from anybody that I know. This is this shed, shed some light on something because I we were hey aim I'm about to talk about you on the podcast because um, we're, <laughs> we're recording at home. It was we were at dinner last night with some people and I mentioned that sometimes Amy writes late at night all like kind of all night long and and Amy said later I get that you're well, you like that but 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 if I'm writing at night it's I'm. Um, it's a private thing when I'm writing or how I'm writing. And mm. um, now I've just said that on the podcast, but I, I, you're giving me insight into that. It's like a way of Virginia Woolf thing, right? Of mm. writing a room of one's own, getting right. to write um, on your own terms. Yeah. And I think that the reason that I stopped protecting myself is because I just got too busy with having a kid that I did all the energy I was I was sort of using to keep myself protected and and hide all my manuscripts and you know I, like I just stopped doing that because I was too busy and and then I just I don't know all of a sudden I wake up one day and like I have some poems in a Broadway show but I don't even really know how that happened like it happened so fast. <laughs> well, do you, and it's it's an amazing thing, but do, uh, but would you share your poems with your friends? Not really, no. No, most of my friends, I'd say really, really great friends of my life, I haven't even really told that I write poetry. Did you tell them you were working construction, like for the Johnstown <laughs> Company or something? Like, what did you <laughs> what did you say you were doing all day long? Well, Jen had a corporate... Well, Jen, Jen had a, a job in media for a long time uh, in, in, um, in sports television. Wait, can I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. My... um. One of my first internships was actually working for you <laughs> at EMI Records. Oh, that's awesome. But yeah. Working for me personally? <laughs> working for your staff. Not you personally, but I was in your department. You were in a and department working for Mike Mena. Is that his oh, name? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. his name. Mike Mena, who yeah. was involved with Slow Dive. Yes, exactly. I was there during the Slow Dive era. Yeah. Did we meet then? Yes, but, but but barely. It's not like we, it's not like we had like... Oh, sorry. It's what not other like, secrets are going? We didn't get to know each other or anything. Um, but I, I remember one time I had to um, fill in for your uh, assistant and I had to answer your phone, and I really, really screwed up. But you didn't get mad at me, but somebody else got really mad at me. I think I. Um, that's why we're here. That's why we're here, Brian. This, uh, yeah, that's why we. Your the whole friendship has been for this moment, office, Mike. But I just, I was very bad at like answering the phone. That's and a hard. Messages. Those are hard jobs. Yeah, so that was miserable times for me. So oh, really? I'm. Yeah. You seem like you're. I was. I was very impressed with what you were doing. Well, thanks. I yeah. I wasn't bad at it. It just. I didn't enjoy being an executive. Mm. As yeah. So you did all that so stuff. So I did that stuff. Yeah, and then on, I would write secretly, but then, um, I wouldn't show it to anybody. When we got married, um, I I knew that Jen was a poet, and I just said, "Okay, we're married now, so you just just do poetry full time, or you don't like your job that much." And so then she just quit her job and she got her MFA and then she's been a poet ever since. And have you, did you read the poems before telling someone to quit their yeah. job and become oh, a poet? Yeah. Had you read, because I, I will say, Jen, and then I do have questions for both of you about what you're doing now. But so this book, Little Astronaut, um, which is ostensibly about Una and being a mom, but I, I will say, um, it's so such a vulnerable, important book. It really connects 
not just motherhood, but being a person to evolution, to uh, the ways in which we are all uh, animals, but all have these higher aims. And your connection to what you become as a mother to, you know, there's this thing that I'm going to steal for billions um, where you talk about uh, what happens to pet owners. I don't want to say what the line thing is, but what happens to pet owners to yeah. die alone. And that's definitely, I'm going to tell you right now, I already used it. It's going in the show. Oh my gosh, I'm so honored. It's going in. I know exactly where. I know who's saying it. And I know why. That's awesome. Yeah, that's happening. I love that. But the the book is such a vulnerable look at as your show is, uh, you, you seem you're unafraid for someone who says they were afraid of being judged, and I believe you. You're really not afraid of being judged once you write the stuff. Like you're allowing us to judge your your needs. Your your yeah. right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for reading it and having that thoughtful response. Um, that's I think because I think because I I write like no one's ever going to read it that probably I'm able to go to some places that I shouldn't go to um, and to be honest these would just be poems on my computer if it wasn't like I don't think I would have ever turned them into anything if it didn't sort of seep into the show and then we you know I put this book together in, in like a month like right before the show went on Broadway so it was very quick and it was very like. I don't know. And you're one of the first people to ever read it. So thank you so much for that. Oh, you're going to get really great reaction from it. It's the real thing. I mean, that six part poem oh, in the yeah. middle thank of it you. is really special thank thing you. that you captured that people have, I think, really tried to express. And this book hit me in a, an odd way. There's this poet that Amy and I really like mm -hmm. named Marie Howe, who wrote mm -hmm. this book called What the Living Do. And, yeah. Oh, I love that. You know, and, and that poem about being someone who hasn't had kids mm -hmm. and the way she talks about her body and what, you know, this idea that it's never going to be used in that way. And then you're talking all about how it is going to be used. And I, right. I think the, it's really wonderful. I'm really glad I had the opportunity to read it. Thank you so much. Probably is like, how the fuck did you just compare it to Marie Howe poem? How do you know a poem? <laughs> I see the look on his face. <laughs> I literally do. See the look on your face. That's not, that's, not, that's an incorrect read. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Mike, what does it really feel like, though, dude, to be like hours away from your official Broadway opening? As you know, I remember your first Letterman appearance. So, oh gosh, uh, wow! And um, you know, thinking, oh, that 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 guy's a really good comic. But I mean, this is a this is a big this is a big deal, right? It it is, yeah. I mean, I there people keep telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what does it feel no. like? To, does it? What does it feel like to you? I. It, Look, it feels like, and you talk about this on the podcast with all, all kinds of creatives all the time, is like ultimately what you're doing is you're express when you're right, you're you're expressing yourself as best as you can in the hopes that it connects with some people, maybe two people, maybe ten, maybe a hundred, and then when when some lucky series of circumstances combined with work and et cetera. Uh, uh, make what you're writing arrive at a stage where it's essentially going to be seen live in front of a hundred thousand people when all is said and done. Um, it's a little bit too much for the brain to comprehend. I'm sure you have that with billions where you just go, well, it's beyond me now. All I can do is perform the show. People are going to have wild opinions in all directions, positive, negative, mixed, this and that. 
um, emotional. You know, people cry after the show. People come up to me crying and they're hugging me, and it's like, and it's all of it, you know. And so, and so, really, I mean, the Broadway of it all, like, yeah, it's, Broadway is historic. It's it's the home of all the great American playwrights and British playwrights, and um, but I don't I don't think of it as in as, in those terms as much as I think about it as like oh, it's going to be in front of essentially 100,000 people in, in, in live. And and do you think about it in terms of, you know, I don't know if it was in your last show or the show before when you tell the story about driving through the tunnel and those cops. <laughs> yeah, um, getting arrested. Yeah, yeah, getting arrested. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you hoping you could become even a comedian oh, who yeah. had a car that didn't have a broken whatever. Oh, yeah. And I mean, do you ever, and you're, what are you about to turn 40? I just, just turned, yeah, 40. I just turned 40. Yeah. yeah. And so how, how does, I mean, how does that all land for you? Like, is this, do you feel like a sense because you, you, uh, and we've talked about this in the podcast before, went from being a comedian to a comedian who was a headlining comedian to someone who sells out theaters, all that, all that stuff, all that stuff has happened gradually and, and yeah. a lot of intention, but somehow this does feel for a couple reasons different to me from how the outside. Come? How come? Well, part of it has to do with that you stripped sort of the last veneer off. Yeah, <laughs> that's very funny. Yes, that's true. As an artist. That's how I see it. I don't know if I, you're one of the, I feel like you're one of the only people who kind of gets that because you're close enough to my work to get that. Yeah, and I know you as a person. Well, that's what David Cross said the other night. He came to the show and he goes, came backstage and he, he was very sweet about it, but he goes, it's really dark. Yeah. Like, I think he was well, very surprised at how I think dark I, it when was. When I met Nick Kroll recently, who you, your friend since Nick college, friend, yeah. um, I said, it's nice that Mike is finally letting people see he's not exactly that nice. and then people and then people weirdly like come after you for that like I there was this thing in the times where someone reviewed it and she mentions that Judd Apatow says to me in a podcast who's a close friend Judd Apatow goes you know you're not that nice like you're you you know people think you're so nice but you're you know and he meant it as a compliment comedians say that to people to others as a compliment like that we're that we're complex yes of course but also um Here's the thing. You are unfailingly courteous, polite. <laughs> yeah, correct. You're correct. kind in your interactions. And certainly kind you're, to strangers. Yes, res- kind to strangers. Um, responsible in your communications. Uh, you care about the world. No, there's- Answer every email. Yeah, you answer, answer the every emails. email. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, what people who know you know, and you know, you and I aren't best friends. We just know each other well for now in, a, in an intimate way over a number of years. Sure. Is like uh, you you actually don't really have that much patience for people's uh, you know for, for 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 when people don't live up to their obligations or what they ought to be you in real life it even if you act nice about it it annoys you. That's correct. Uh, <laughs> no. that, that's a good assessment. I think. Yeah, and so and you're gonna go get what you you know you're a successful person who wants to be successful and. If you keep your end of the bargain, um, other people, but what the show is about. Yeah. And what I'm, well, I I have a sort of an order I want to ask this stuff in, but, uh, but I will say something that Amy and I talk about all the time is the price, the cost of, of, uh, of genius, the cost of doing the work and who should pay that cost and how you balance it. And that is a lot of what the show is about, I think. 
Is it really? What, uh, Tell explain me. that to me. Explain that to me. Well, because a lot of the show is is to me is about you wanting to live your life in the way that allows you to create the work that you do. And right? And the Yeah, yeah, I think and that's the right. justification. Yeah. There's a stated and an unstated justification. And the unsta- the stated justification is like, well, I I said this I wasn't going to want my life to change. I want to live a certain way. But the unstated thing is I'm Mike Birbiglia. Um, a comedian who brings joy to people. I'm, I tell he's, he's like falling out on the table now. I'm laughing, I'm laughing so hard because Jen is, I think, getting so much satisfaction from hearing you sort of semi-burn me like this, but it's an analytical burn. It's not a burn. You made the show. No, it's no, I know. Well, it's not a burn. What it is is that the unstated subtext of the thing, and it's the argument people make about like Dylan, about, about people, and because also, dude, you are a good person and you're not a monster. You're a kind person, right? We, that's the, the whole joke about you not being as nice as is portrayed is because nobody could be as nice as the character in your first couple shows. No one on earth is yeah, that I mean, nice. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, you're, <laughs> you're making a point. You made a character that you portrayed that was had, I say it about me on the podcast all the time. My, kid, my family will say it. This is the best, ver- this is a version of me that I could never be 24 hours a day. Absolutely. So th- th- there's that. But, but you're, uh, you're out there bringing all these people joy. You're making people laugh, which you think is like noble work in a certain way, and it mm-hmm. is. But then what's a fair price for the people in your life to pay? And what's the price ultimately you pay? And that's what your show's about. And that's why I think it touches people. But Jen, like, uh, you know, I, I just imagine this all hit you in a really hard way because you're a lot of the impetus for it. Hmm. Well, we're always in dialogue about this stuff. So I wasn't really shocked at too many moments of the show. Um, there's moments where there's there were months where I just let Mike write and perform and I never saw any of it and didn't ask questions just so he can have that space to sort of see what he wants to say without worrying about how much it would affect me and my feelings. And there were some rough nights. <laughs> there was that one night where I woke you up and was like, if this is what you think is going on, then we're in trouble or something like that. But then like with 24 hours later, everything was fine. I forgot about that night. That was horrible. Oh my God, I forgot about that. That was horrible. That was like one of the worst days of my life. I forgot it happened. <laughs> but I think like, um, I, like Mike's a human being and that I love him as a human being. So I don't want like the perfect Mike Burbiglia package thing as my husband. I of want course like, a, not. Hum- a human right. being. And I do find a lot of people co- like come up to me after the show and they're like, thanks for letting him write this and do this. And, um, I feel like I, like I'm like his number one supporter in sort of looking into whatever he wants to and expressing whatever he wants to express. And I try to help him be able to express those things. So I feel like because I'm so, we're so close and we end up working together, I get to, um, connect, we get to connect on these things together. So I don't feel like left out of it. I feel like part of it. And I think that helps it a lot. That makes total sense. But, um, but you know, you've always been a character in the shows, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you've been an idealized version of like the stories in the past about the two of you and the cat and like have, um, you know, he would always take the 
like i mean most of the time mike makes himself like the the the, the goofy yeah. sort of like mm-hmm. oh i f- i messed up again kind yeah. of a person mm-hmm. um and then in this show you know you actually are like you're the hero clearly of this show in mm-hmm. the because mm-hmm. you you know you've you're the agent of change. Una is, but Una's too small to have mm-hmm. been. You're the agent of change. That I won't give the moment away, but you know, there's mm-hmm. a moment where Mike reveals. Uh, it's a great, by the way, dude. As a storyteller, this is what annoyed me about that review in the Times, which I wasn't going to bring up. You don't know why you brought it up, but that there's review, a, which there's said, another one coming tomorrow, no, and God knows what that, that one's going to. No, the review which said the show is—is <laughs> is it written by the same person? Rantley, no, it's the bigger reviewer tomorrow. Good. Well, Who but knows? the thing is, the review totally missed that you were taking yourself. The, the thing that drove me crazy. They didn't. She she didn't get that. She just missed yeah, that you yeah. were taking yourself to task. She she didn't get that I was saying the thing. Like she's <laughs> criticizing me. It was like this thing where you go like where you go like so this thing about me sucks, and then someone goes yeah it does suck. And yep. You're like what are you like a middle school bully? Right. Well, no, it's not <laughs> only that you said the thing about. It's not only that you say in the show the thing about me sucks. You're like. You're like, um, hey, I, you know, I think I did pretty well considering. And then as the show goes on, you're like, eh, I did really badly. In fact, this is maybe the low point of my whole life. And so I've ch- I am changing. I've changed. Let me demonstrate to you by the whole set changing, by all sorts of things <laughs> that let me demonstrate to you that I know I was wrong and I'm going to live differently which is what's amazing about the show is the journey that we go Thanks. on in the audience. You know, we are completely rooting for you to get to where you get to. So yeah, that drove me crazy. I was, it was so wild. mad about but it. But it was really freeing reading that because she really like, she took like a personal shot at me, which is I think as an artist, you're always afraid. Your deepest fear is that someone's going to go, it's not just the art that sucks. It's you that suck. And, and she kind of implied we shouldn't be married. She implied that we shouldn't be married. <laughs> she <clears throat> bizarre. And and um and that was very freeing for me. So this time around and the, the Broadway reviews, Jen was saying last night because it was the last pr- review show, she was like you're so much chiller this run than the off-Broadway run. You've never been this chill during review shows. And I was like, I just don't care anymore. I don't care what people think. We're I just don't care. We may not read them. I'm, I may, I may not read them. That, that's not true. No, I may not. No, I'm, that's, that's, I've never, I've never, I've never even said I'm not going to read them. <laughs> it's hilarious. Come on, I mean, that's not possible. But, I mean, we are who we are. Like we are who we are. Yeah. You might not, but they. I will say after the first shitty reviews, they never hurt me anymore. I don't get hurt by reviews. Um. Yeah. Um, if I, I don't, if, have you been, has your work been reviewed, Jen, ever? It, yes, but I've never had anyone come, not, not to the extent where someone, in poetry, they kind of just tell you your work is good or they don't review it at all. If you don't review it, they basically means they don't like How it. How do you deal with when you would submit? So you submitted oh, under pseudonyms, all the time. but you submitted under pseudonyms yes, mostly. And I get rejected. I still get rejected constantly. So how do you, so, you know, people who listen to this podcast care about this a lot because we all get rejected, we all get rejected in the arts. Yeah. And and it's great to know that even, you know, someone like you gets rejected or that, I, you know, I'll sure. deal with like, but so you'll send poems out and poems, I, I never know if people understand how hard it is to write poetry, but it's really hard to write poetry and poets beat themselves up. Like before you send a poem out, yeah, talk about it a little bit. How, 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 how like, because of what goes into 
writing a poem because sometimes people think, oh, it's like in third grade. And, and keep in mind, and at this point, Jen's been po- published in the New Yorker and Poetry International and and like a, a lot of publications. But for I would say for years, you had a lot of submissions that weren't accepted. Yeah, I and yeah, it's it's hard. And also, I stopped submitting for probably two years. Um, and then just kind of took a break from it and just wrote a ton and just was like, I'm not a submitter, I'm a writer. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to write. And I sort of like wrote this line that was like, this was how I made myself feel better. (laughs) I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but, um, I wrote this line that was like, you can publish when you're dead, said the tree or something like that. Like it was like a poem I was writing about how like you like in life you can write, and you can like be a parent and you can, these are the things you can do in life. And then like you can publish when you're dead. Or, like, Which, the, and the tree is encouraging you to tree. do that so it lives longer. <laughs> yeah. So the tree can keep living. That's so that's kind of, in, that's in my mind. And I actually, I don't really submit that much anymore. Um, I did submit to Poetry Magazine and got a rejection yesterday. <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah. And how did, when, so how do you process the, was it a personal rejection or not? They don't know. It was like a slush pile. Like I sent it through a slush. I don't know anybody there. So I was like, oh, this seems like it should be in there. Maybe I'll send it. I like this piece. And then I forgot. You forget. By the time you hear back, I mean, I forgot that I even sent it there. And then I was like, oh, I don't even like this piece anymore. Now. Do you apply for grants too? <laughs> like, did you? Um, I have not, not that much. I've done like a couple of like, um, like study like going to like cabins in the middle of the woods and doing like artist retreats and stuff have like you that. done it i did one in oregon that was fantastic at caldera and it, yeah yeah i did one you did i did yato and it was you did, yeah, did you was, you like it you like that kind of i like being i did off. i couldn't do it now I that i'm a mom the week that i was there and jen, then jen still talks about it like it was like an epic i'm like in the um, cabin when i was in the cabin like <laughs> <laughs> i did this and i woke up every morning and well, i ate this and <laughs> that was the amazing thing did you guys see that what was up alan rick, rick alan richmond was on, uh, on broadway and then goldblum wasn't it the seminar or whatever about this english teacher a couple years ago and they rip on um McDowell and Yaddo and this like they mention both as the way people who go to these oh, yeah. places just I think I did see that. I talks that about them familiar. constantly and yeah. I, yeah. Hilarious. So, so you've done but, that stuff. But, uh, yeah, and I've, and, sorry. But do the rejections hurt? I just want to know does it does it still Yeah, it, it feels terrible. It feels like a rejection. But I'm always surprised when Mike gets rejected <laughs> that he cares at all. And it's always like it's like nothing. Like he'll get like like not even something that would be on my radar as a rejection. Cause like I'm all rejection. Like I'm like 99% rejection, like 1%, like something. And then he's like 99%, like sort of being able to put his work out there. And then like a little, like something I would not define as rejection, but it, he can feel it. Like he feels it. Do you? I think he does. Do you, you mean if, um, if a movie went out and it was on 50 less screens than like, you know, I'm trying to think about that in that kind of a world where it was like, oh, in fact, we're just going to put it out on 200 screens, but you wanted 500 with that. You'd process that as a rejection of sorts. Oh yeah. Both movies, <laughs> both movies, which were wildly acclaimed, both movies, sleepwalk with me and don't think twice, essentially each ended up going out to like 140 ish screens and were really like popular with the people who saw them and they could have gone to thousands of screens. They just didn't. They just, no one was willing to put the money up to sort of take a risk on them. And and that sort of is what it is. Right. But did that, so that, but it annoyed, it, it bothered you is what I'm still bothered. Yeah. I'm thrown by it. 
You're thrown by it. Yeah, I'm thrown by it. You put all of your energy into this thing, and, you, and also you're, con- as you know, with billions, you're convincing a an army of people yeah. that we're gonna make this thing, and it's gonna be great, and it's gonna be seen by millions of people, and so. So when it doesn't go to quite as many screens, I feel like I'm letting down Gillian. I'm Gillian Jacobs. I'm letting down Keegan Michael Key. I'm letting down Kate McCucci. <clears throat> um, I'm letting down Joey Anderson, my cinematographer. You're letting all down all of you guys who came to your house, house and gave over notes. Yep. Well, you're letting yeah. all of us down. Yeah, yeah. So there's but, that. Yeah, of course you're you're not. Yeah, well, but I, there's a, that's in the mix, you know. And but then but then actually then you know you come to grips with it and you go like. Well, it's, it's, you, you, you know, it, it affected the people it affected. I mean, don't think twice definitely affected like me. A lot of, a lot of people still come up to me and say, you know, who are in bands or in right. improv groups or, or acting squads or they, like it, it definitely like it hit home for a lot of people. So that, that, that's really Well, special. it's a terrific movie that really, you could feel how much it, people cared about that, that movie. And it also made it so that you can get, if you wanted to, you're a work, you could be a working director and direct other movies. I'm sure you've gotten tons of comedies sent to you to direct. Yeah, people, I, yeah, I think so. Right. So it, I think that movie had to have changed your career if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm sure that you own that less than you own the, why wasn't it bigger? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, but, and then, of course, I have no leg to stand on with this show right now because it's on Broadway. You literally you can't get any bigger. No, you've done so it. Like, and you're yeah. going to film it, right? So, so, yeah, so, we'll probably film it at some and point. And then yeah. that'll be out on Netflix or you'll put it out yourself, however that'll work. Are Are you losing a lung? Do we need, what, what can I mean, we I do for you? I just need a little water. Here, it's right there. Thanks. Um, you want to eat some grapes? I'm just, He's on vocal rest. I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm doing eight shows a week, and so it's, it is very hard to sort of keep my voice yeah. in a decent place. Yeah, you shouldn't do much more of this kind of stuff i think but this is really nice you got you got me pizza mm-hmm. well that's your yes which is phenomenal and a chocolate cake amy and got chocolate the chocolate cake, cake. Oh i would my never gosh. i mean that's the thing if my if Birbiglia is coming over you got to get pizza oh i've gosh. come to your house three times there's been pizza every time so yeah, yeah. i was able to understand what to do but okay so i was going to ask how you're processing all this and how you manage to stay grounded and then i have a real question for you about this jen but but mike i stay is grounded it, by taking the subway no, it's so underground. Underground. I say undergrounded. <laughs> no, but you know, how are you staying? Because the right, it, it's an odd thing. You write this show about trying not to lose yourself and to remind yourself of your humanity and connecting to your family and doing the stuff that a, a father has to do and a husband has to do. But then, in the process of this, this show is sort of like set up to be the most successful endeavor you've done in many ways and is a bigger deal and has pushes you even could push one further away so how do you i'm just saying how is it all how are you synthesizing all of this you always ask the best questions <laughs> of all of the interviews i do your questions always like like pierce my soul uh <laughs> and that's why i'm taking a while to answer Um, well part of the reason why the show ended up on Broadway is of course uh, my producer Kevin McCollum who took a chance on bringing it to Broadway which is a huge gamble and I hope that uh, he's uh, happy with that Uh, but a lot of his um, two people Mike Berkowitz who's who's my agent from Jump when I was 23 
basically said to me, I don't know if you've had anyone be this stern with you in your inner circle before, but I was just going to do the show off Broadway. And he just, he, he, he pretty much yelled at me for about a half hour on the phone. And he goes, you've lost your drive. And uh, and uh, you you used to be if you were when you were in your twenties you would have said no we're going to Broadway, and now you've lost that and I'm not going to let you lose it, and you're going to do this, and I'm going to take I'm going to take care of it and if and if if it doesn't work it doesn't work but we're going to try, <clears throat> and then the the second person uh, was I called John Mulaney he was a close friend and had just done. Oh hello on Broadway and I said what do you what do you think of this cuz he had seen the show a few times given notes and and uh he goes oh yeah 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 it's the best thing you'll ever do you have to do it you have to do it it's the best thing you could possibly do if someone will let you take the show to Broadway you have to and that was it those are the two people i mean and Jay, you know if jam was supportive my brother joe was supportive i mean everyone was supportive but not like those two people were were, were for whatever reason like it really but, urged me but circling back which is great and and sort of answers part of it which is that it wasn't your push to do this it wasn't the ambition driving it wasn't your own ambition driving the bus but the but as this is all happening, I'm, have I'm you dodging thought about the how question. To, yeah, I'm dodging the question. I'm not letting you though. <laughs> have you thought about how you're going to not allow it to push you, you know, how you're going to retain the stuff that you, those distinctions you made about yourself, how you're going to stay there doing these eight shows a night and with everything, the swirl that you're in. I think I'm going to retire. Great. Um, so the poetry is going to float the family for the next little while. <laughs> Very lucrative. <laughs> it is. That's what they, that's why people go yeah. into it clearly. <laughs> Yato, here we come. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll just live it. Yato. Um, no, it's, uh, I, I have thought about not uh, doing any, not writing any more shows. Um, I've thought about maybe just going behind the camera and just directing and sort of disappearing into that. So you're thinking about all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't want my daughter to see me as a public person. You don't want to be on the road all the time either, I imagine. And I don't want to be on the road. That's one of the special things about um, doing the shows. I'm in New York with my wife and daughter for... 12 weeks. Yeah, it's fantastic. Which is unusual. Which is rare. Yeah, a lot of people are like, it must be so hard having Mike work every night on Broadway. And I'm just like, it's the most we see him because he's usually on the road um, doing these shows every weekend. So it's great having him home. I feel like you're staying pretty grounded, to be honest, because you're so busy working. Like he's just working all the time. He's not really, he's just doing the show. And it's not like he's going out after the show or anything. Well, yeah, Mike's yeah, always, yeah. I know you've always been incredibly yeah. grounded as a human outside of the home it's really the show itself is what raises the question uh, the show right you've always i mean that's the point about your i mean your generosity and kindness to people but there's in the in the show it's 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 clear that that the work that there was this justification for doing whatever you had to to support the work and that everyone had to accommodate that everyone had to accommodate the mm -hmm. the part of you being mike Berbiglia. Now you're on Broadway. So I, I'm just wondering how you manage it. Listen, everyone who does what we do struggles with this. Yeah. So I, re I could relate to it hard. I, I often, Amy and I often talk about it. What a lucky thing for us that Billions happened at the time it did when my kids were basically mostly grown. So that I, I, it didn't matter that the first two seasons I was 18 hours a day on the show. Everyone was, everyone was at a place that they were yeah. really ready for it. Yeah. 
but you're kind con- I mean, anyone who does what we do, artists, there's a part of artists. Um, I reject this idea you have to be crazy to be an artist, but you do have to give into a certain, um, you have to give in sometimes to the imp- artistic, what uh, impetus, the artistic pull, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which I imagine y- y- you do, but you, it seems from the show and from reading this, mm-hmm. always Una was the first thing. And then your work came second. Yeah. For you, the whole point of the show is the work and being you came first. And even though you loved Una endlessly, immediately, understanding that these priorities had to shift was hard for you. <clears throat> yeah, it's, um, yeah, I say in the show, kids hold us back. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, I think there's some truth to that, but I, but I also think it does, I think kids can can focus your energy and and folk and force you to be more regimented about your time. So so you're like, okay, I'll write from you know, Una's in preschool from eight thirty until three. It's like I'm gonna really take advantage of that span of time. And as 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 I've heard screen Hollywood screenwriters often say, it's like if anyone tells you they they're writing screenplays for more than three hours a day, they're probably lying. Yeah, I mean, that definitely includes the Pornhub time when people say that. <laughs> like, there's no doubt when they say that, yeah. that that's including certain breaks that they might take along the way. Right, so it's like, so so I actually- Three hours, by the way, for work. Like, like you can work in three, I can work in three-hour bursts, yeah. basically. But I, that's all I, which is great when you're a screenwriter. We, when you're not in production, my life was amazing. I walk out of school every day, go do my work, have lunch, work another couple hours, come home for dinner. Then when you're shooting, life goes crazy. But you know, yeah. well, it's funny because the sh- the structure of the show is for people who haven't seen it. Just the gist of it is the first half of the show is like an argument for why no one should ever have a child, and it's fierce. I mean, it's it goes there. The second half of the show is an argument for you know is is an explanation of how I Jen and I had a child and I was right. And then the end of the show is ultimately how I arrived at a a. a, a, a a, a redemption of the of a reversal of that feeling, but which I won't give away. But like, um, <clears throat> how how is I tying this in? I'm sorry. Um, but I oh my oh this is the thing I I don't people don't know. This show ends when Una is like 13 months old. The truth is, after that it was it was uh, it's been amazing. Well, yeah, I I mean th- she's three and a half now. It's like the greatest. Hanging out with her is. I never ever laugh so hard as I'm when I'm with Jen and Una. Yeah, I wrote I wrote down to say later that watching the show, being from where I am, which is like all I want, all the four of us want, Sam, Anna, Amy, and I, is to spend time together and hang out. And it's the, but uh, you know, watching it from the other side of it, so I watched it with a bit of perspective because you know I had my two grown kids with me at your show. Yeah, and, I know, and they loved it, and, the, and and it was like I could see where the of course you're going to get through the that time together. It's probably why it's not why it's not so hard for me because we've gotten through it. I think if we didn't get through it um or if we were still dealing with so many of these issues, it would be a lot harder, well, I think. Still though, in this show and the one before like you've always been as I was going to say, like you've always mm-hmm. been in the shows. Mm-hmm. But suddenly you became a three-dimensional person in mm-hmm. the shows you had you have a lot of agency mm-hmm. in this show. Yeah. It's not. It's not hidden. As I said, you're like mm-hmm. the hero of the show in a certain way. 
So suddenly it does feel like a lot is at stake mm -hmm. for you in the show. Yeah. And so how did you become comfortable with that, especially as you're in certain ways shy about this stuff? Yeah. Well, I'm in denial in some ways, too, that it's being broadcast out to like a thousand people a night or whatever you want to, or toured around the country. Um, because, you know, Mike and I work to like sometimes he'll be like, I'm working on this part of the show. You know, these these are the lines I'm working with. Um, what do you think? You know, can you can you want to work on this with me? So. Uh, I think I was able to put some of the things that were important to me in there. And, you know, not everything. Right, and you it's have like, a credit I, on the show as a writer on the show. Yeah. And so, I mean, I usually, you know, kind of give notes. You know, you've worked, you've given notes to Mike before. Um, he he listens to a lot of different voices, give notes, and he kind of sifts through it. And, and it's all about what works for the show. So, um, you know, if it was my show, it would be totally different. But I do have some things in there that I feel I felt like passionate about. Um with my character. There's some things in the show that that are her point of view that are in the show and I don't agree with and I say them every night. <laughs> oh, that and, and as, as your character say, yes. or as, as your Just character as, you say as, them. As, as the truth. But the big moment when she says the thing to you at the end of the show. Yeah. That did, how close is that to the reality? It's the dishes? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that was a big argument between us. Um, last summer, I was workshopping at Berkeley Rep, and we lived there for the summer in, in California. And Jen said, you know. Oh, yeah, don't give yeah, the yeah, punchline away. away. But it's like, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, no, not X, Y, Z. Well, and she's like, yes, X, Y, Z. And I was like, no. And then, and then finally, I was like, okay, I'll try it. And I did it in the show, and it was really good. And I was like, well, if it's good for the show. Well, and the, I'd say the other thing is like, that that Berkeley run um, that you that you did, I hadn't seen the show and, and or listened to it in a while, like maybe a couple months. So I went to the show in Berkeley, and then I got the next morning. I like wrote like sixty poems, like like almost like a yeah. rebuttal, yes. like like. And it's like sure. the, they go and like so one of them starts. You know that story you tell to people, blah, blah, and right? Like, that well, that's, a, in yeah. the that's, that's in the that's in the show. And then and then I gave Mike notes basically from my notes were like in this like manuscript version. So oh my she god, gave this me is, poetry notes. Yeah. This is all like if Harry Chapin and his wife were still alive. <laughs> and then because so what's you know, funny she is wrote it, the poem. You know Harry Chapin's wife wrote the poem that became Cats in the Cradle. No. no. Yes. You guys don't know that. No. Victory. Really? No. Amazing. She. That was a. He was always on the road. She put the thing on the um, fridge. Oh my gosh. And oh, then no he idea. made the song out of the poem she wrote because he was what? always on the road. That's really funny. So that was exactly That's like She what you wrote a, essentially a poetry rebuttal to the show. And then I was like, at first, very hostile to those. I was like, they're well written, right. but they're not they're true. False, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then eventually- Which is funny too, because you as an artist would always be just like, it doesn't matter if it's exactly true if the feeling's true. <laughs> yeah, and then and then eventually I was like, no, that's that's worth trying. And then and then they're and then they're all really almost almost everything is in the show. You know what's interesting? You'll love this. The book that you that, that you read, Little Astronaut, we are considering doing like a like a like a a mainstream publication of um her book and my book you should together. Do it. Yes. And it'll be like it, well, comedy this essays isn't a by rebuttal. a new dad by new dad and 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 uh poems by new but, mom. Because this doesn't read like a rebuttal, but it right. does read like there are things there are things that I'm going through and I'm dealing with and I'm doing <clears throat> that you can't 
you can't understand. So I'm going to try to mm-hmm. allow you to, I'm going to try to bring you yeah. into this. And um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. The, the book really works. But here, here's the thing. So the, the, I'm glad we we're back to the book because the emotional swings in the book and, and, and this idea in both Mike's show and the book that you each told each other a fundamental central lie about what parenthood might mean. <laughs> so how did you grapple with that becoming manifest, Jen? Um, that as you started to realize, as you started to realize, yeah. oh fuck, I, th- I know I said all this. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I was surprised by, um, I don't think I was like fantasizing what it'd be like to have a baby that much because I had such a crazy pregnancy. I tried not to even think about what it was like to have a baby. Um, But then when she came, I think the biggest thing I was shocked about that I never occurred to me is like she literally would not sleep. So I like held her for 18 months, like held her (laughs) like until finally. You didn't (laughs) figure there might be sleeping issues? (laughs) I I knew that Mike had sleeping issues, but I had this idea that like she was just, I had this idea that she was going to be like, just like me and she's going to be mellow. Oh, that's the funniest. That's actually the funniest thing that's not in the show from real life that we've talked to. We've actually talked a lot with Ira Glass, who's a producer on the show about that we always wanted to fit into the show, but it's but we could never find a home for it. As you know, there's so many darlings on the cutting room floor, but which is that Jen would always be like, I, I would be like, you know, the baby's going to be like me. It's going to be nuts. And Jen would be like, no, she's going to be peaceful. She's just going to sit around like a cat and like cuddle up. (laughs) And she's going to be so sweet. And um, she is like incredibly sweet. And who was right? Well, I think this is part of, (laughs) this is why I had that poem that, which is in the show about the baby crawling for the first time and reminding me of Mike. Um, because, but I think in every way they're similar. And so we basically have like a mini, like we have a three and a half year old girl version of Mike. And so the two of them are just like peas in a pod. They're just adorable. Like they're best buddies. But I mean, she is like a mini Mike and she's nothing like me. I mean, she's a little bit like me, but she's, she just talks all the time. And so does Mike. And they both talk at me at the same time. And they don't, they don't ever let up. They wait for the other one to stop and they just keep talking. And yeah, so I was wrong. It's dueling verbiglias. (laughs) It's awesome. No, right. Sure. And I think think he didn't expect to to find such a connection with her in that way. I feel like you guys are so connected. Like, well, you tell, make that really, you make that incredibly clear when you talk about what oh. she writes. Oh, yeah. You know, um, uh, one word. word, how those are one. Yeah. No, yeah. no, when she writes. The, the that w- poem makes me yeah. cry yeah, every time. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. Um, and the little marks above it. I mean, yeah. you're such a wonderful, you're such a wonderful poet. It's so oh, evocative and beautiful. That, But that idea of their connection, which yeah. for me, because of how I am with Anna, um, the dad-daughter thing is really strong and it, incredibly really um, strong. moving. Thank you. Um, yeah. But... But, but yeah, back I, but to I, the thing of you being. Um, yeah, I was not ready for the idea that I didn't really know what, what sleep deprivation was. I mean, I was I would go like be like two hours of sleep. And but, but what, Jen, what about when you realized because we're talking about two artists who live in a home and yeah. like obviously you accommodated a lot for his career. Yeah. But and and part of what you talk about at the beginning of the show, so this isn't a spoiler, is that you guys had agreed not only not to have kids when you decide you want to have kids, you were like, but your life won't have to change, right. which really says something about where women think they have to put themselves still. Even mm-hmm. the most evolved couple and women think they have to sort of say like, don't worry, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really in, 
interested in mm-hmm. as you realized it wasn't fine. Yeah. There's there's this great moment in Springsteen's book yeah. where did you guys read Springsteen's book? Yeah, we saw the show. But there's so there's a great moment in the book where Patty Bruce, Bruce who's been Bruce his whole, you know, for 40 years before he has kids or whatever and is uh, plays and writes songs till four in the morning and then sleeps till 10. And Patty came in one morning after the kids left for school and she said, I just want you to know you're missing it. You're mm. missing it. You're going to miss it. Yeah. Like, I know you're Bruce Springsteen. You're going to miss it. And Aww. and he started dragging himself up at seven in the morning to make bread because he was like, mm-hmm. fuck. So, yeah. but I'm wondering like what, like what was your thought process like because you had committed these things to mm-hmm. Mike yeah. and then obviously the burden is too much for somebody to, to, to bear. Yeah. How, so how did you think about it? And how did you think about approaching those conversations? Well, I'm not very confrontational. I'm more passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to clip this audio and, and play it on a loop around the house. Um, and it took me a really long time to come around to the idea that I needed help. So like Mike would just be like, right. I'm not going to help, but we should get a babysitter. We should call your parents. We should do this. We should do that. He would come up with solutions and I would be annoyed that he was trying to come up with solutions. I would be like kind of in denial about the whole thing and just be like, I just wouldn't want to talk about it. Like I was like in that mood, you know? So I don't know. I was maybe not my best self and maybe wasn't problem solving the best way, but it was also like some, you know, it was like some of the greatest times of my life also. Sure. So, being with Una and yeah, doing all that stuff. And, and I, you know, I didn't really, um, did, didn't, the, yeah. did the poems, I, cause I guess what I'm wondering is, did oh, you yeah. start to find yourself on the page in a way yeah, and realize I, so. I need, yeah. I can't, I can't live. I'm a because di- yeah. it's very clear. Even I love the poems. The difference in the poems when you're writing about yourself pregnant, yeah, versus writing about yourself having the child, yeah. You know? And if you, if by doing that, if you got to this realization of, well, the person who said all that stuff mm-hmm. was living in a black and white world, and now I'm in a color world, and these things don't like yeah, if, if you were able very- to forgive yourself in that way, because how could you have known? Yeah. Um, I think like so much also changed in the world while it was happening to you. So when we were pregnant, when I was pregnant, Fuck. So yeah. the, the original concept that I had had for the book and the book is, this is like an excerpt from like 120 pages of this. So there's a, there's a lot more material. The original concept I had had was like being pregnant in the time of Obama and then having a kid in the time of Trump. Um, and that just didn't work out. Um, and all the political stuff came out of this book. There's you, no You just ruined stuff. my day. You just completely ruined But I day. think that that's part of the idea of just sort of like having this sort of a rosy version and then a reality version or being surprised by what is possible. Um, yeah. But also, you know, I like when Mike and I got married, he did say he did not want to have a kid. <laughs> like I, I'm not surprised by it. It wasn't. And so like, I really, really pushed him into having a kid really did. And um, so I was just so thankful that he was like, he was going to have this experience with me, even though I knew he didn't want to and sort of making something that I want in my life to happen. And I think when we got married, we agreed that we were going to try to help each other whatever we want in our lives, either one of us, we were going to try to support it. So when I say like, I don't want our, his life to change, I meant because I had always like sort of committed to this idea. I support your career. Like we would always said to each other, if you want to go away for a month and write poetry, fine. If you want to go away and shoot a movie for a month, fine. Like we're, we're going to support each other. And so this was like the, if you want to have a baby, fine moment. And so like, so yeah, I was scrambling. Um, I was, 
Right, but then you hard. had to, yeah. that had to change. I mean, yeah. that had mm-hmm. to change. It did. In order actually for you guys both to become the best versions of yourselves, it had to change, right? Yeah, and to be honest, I feel like Una just like kind of won Mike over. It's almost like she did the work in the end. Like she, like one day she, he was just like in love with her and it was all her, like the, the two of them are, got so close and I don't think there's so anything I could have, happens, right? there's nothing I could have uh-huh. done to make that happen or not happen. It had to have, it happened between the two of them. So we just got lucky. We were laughing last <laughs> night because people always ask me like, do you, well, you think Una will be okay with the show and she gets older and Jen and I always laugh because it's like, she won't even believe that that I would even have had that sentiment. She would be like, "Oh, that's a put on." Of course, because you're nothing like well, that. Well, yeah, because like as I say, as as uh, as long as you two are, and it's so clear, you always have been this connected and loving, even when you were going through these different difficult times. It's all only going to continue to deepen and get better and get better, deeper and better with her too. Yeah, I mean, she might have some questions. <laughs> it's not quite going to be exactly the way you think because she can also use it against you when oh, she's 14. Of course she can. Of course she can. Well, of course she don't want to pick me up from blah, blah, blah's house. You didn't even yeah, yeah. want me in the yeah, first yeah, yeah, yeah. place. Of course. So that's of course. all going to happen. I mean, that's all going to happen. Yeah. I have a couple of like um, c- sort of creative process questions to ask. Um, how do you work with Seth and Ira? Seth... Barish, who's the director, yeah, and Ira Glass, who's sort of like your creative. I mean, these are your; those are your two, along with Jen, creative and partners, Joe and my brother right? Joe, too. Right. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. Joe, who just looks like you, um, yeah, and he's bigger. Yeah, and he, you. And if you were left it. alone at like um, Paulie's Meat Factory for well, there's a- <laughs> like that's he looks just like you, but like yes. a few more steaks. Yes. Yeah, taller. Because he's taller um, from the stakes. <laughs> so, so um, well, there's a few things. Taller from the stakes is his, by the way, Hollywood memoir a, <laughs> title. A few Sorry. things. Uh, Jen has always pulled me from the moment we met towards making solo shows versus doing Comedy Central specials. So that was an idea that you had, Jen. Well, just as you watched him as a storyteller. As I watched him, I was just like, even when I, um, when Mike and I were dating, we had been dating for about a month, and he told me this story. This is an insane story. He told. This me- is like this is like, oh, Mike is this story. The point is, Mike is so dumb. No. And it's but but it, but I really am. This I, dumb. So I have an idea. I have an idea. Let's let Jen tell it. <laughs> what if Jen got to tell the do story? Me, do you want me to tell it or not you tell, tell it? it. Uh, there's not much to Great. say, but um, so I think like. The thing that you see on stage is the is the person I met when I started dating Mike and fell in love with. It's this human being who will tell you any story about themselves and and what they did right and what they did wrong. And it's just this genuine human being who made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> not a lot, but some. And um, yeah. not too many. Um, the mistakes but, are good. They lead to bits. So, yeah. So I remember this is like when he, he I met him, when I met Mike, he was 25. He had, he was, he had some Comedy Central material that he was doing and working on. And um, he told me this story about how he um, saw a prostitute when he went to the red light district. And it was such a great story. I was like, you should tell that on stage. And he kept it. All these years until this show. It's in the show. Yeah. yeah. And I love the show. I love that story. Oh, but I thought you were going to say the thing about UCB. 
Because I was workshopping Sleepwalk with me, an early version that was really, really rough around the edges. Oh. Really rough. Oh, yeah. At UCB. And a month into our relationship, and into our dating, yeah. really loosely, go, hey, you should come to see this show. Mm. And it was not good. I loved, I really loved every second of that show. It was amazing. It was, it blew my mind as an artist. Like, I wasn't quite an artist yet, but I... I think I knew I wanted to be and just watching Mike and at an early age at 25, just be like, I'm going to do a one person show. I'm going to just throw it up on the stage. I'm going to do that next week. I was like, Oh my God, you can just do that. And he literally just did it in the next, in the next week he did a one person show on the UCB stage. And I just, I was blown away by it. And then I was like, you should do this all the time. And I thought it was just incredible. And you knew that's where he should go. Yeah. But then what is the collaborative process? And so, oh, so uh, to, to bring this full circle. So then the, the other, another big person in my life is my brother, Joe. And Joe is very much sort of the Comedy Central, sort of the jokes side of it. Loves jokes. Loves sure. writing jokes. Loves punching stuff up. Right. And he writes. Yeah. He, he writes, writes with you. Yeah. Also. He's been a credited yeah. additional writer on a lot. And I think most of the shows and was a screenwriter on Sleepwalk with me. Um, so he always has some great lines and even like the lines that he says in the show are things he says in, in real life and like punched up for himself. So, so that's where he comes in. That's where Jen comes in. And then Seth and Ira, I mean, Seth, Seth Barish is not a traditional theater director in the sense that he doesn't come in when the script is done and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he's a dramaturg. We worked together on this show for two years. I would say, if I were to guess, I'd say a few thousand hours on the phone. How does it start with the two of you? You say I have an idea for a show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, when it's when it's not much more than your through line? No, when it's like, when it's like hey, I've written these passages and um, the beginning would be here and the end would be here and the passages would go something like this. And I will, I'll read him stuff on the phone and he'll laugh and he'll go, I like this, I don't like this, or I, I enjoy this more. And then that's how things start. And then, and then Ira is just, Ira Glass is just an assassin of editors. I mean, he will take the thing you are most proud of and and that you've you've written your heart out and he'll go cut that and then you'll go no way and then like three weeks later you'll go yeah right, you're, you're right it. yeah uh -huh. i mean ira the thing about this american life that i think sometimes people don't realize is that as brilliant as that show is and there's whatever 600 700 episodes as brilliant as that show is the cutting room floor of it is thousands of hours of more stories that are better than every other podcast. Sure. You wouldn't of believe it. The things they cut from that show are astounding. I know. Ira came up to me the night that I saw the show off-Broadway, and he was like, let me ask you if you're worried about this. And the exact thing he asked me about is the misunderstanding that the New York Times person had. I know. And, he, so, and that's, yeah. I mean, that's just as he was aware that in the in the game of Russian roulette, yeah. that it was possible that someone would have that exact misapprehension yep. of the show. And we and I remember and, reading and, and it. We re, and, we, and, and it was funny is we've rewritten it a bit since then. Right. Um, I came up with a line that when you see it on Broadway, you'll see I rewrote that covers, it. That yeah, goes, but it, it covers it. We'll, you and I will have a real long talk about what I changed because it's a big 
it's a big like disrespect. What I added is hugely disrespectful in a lot of ways to people who criticized that last iteration. Oh, good. Which is, really? ba- well, basically it's to, it calls out what I'm saying that the person criticized as a thought. Right. It just drops in the word thought. Yes. And it basically says, if you're going to criticize my thought, then good luck. Right. Like, you go, you know, I, I don't know oh, what, I don't know so what, I don't, glad know, you just brought I don't that know what up. to tell you. No. If you're going to go to a play or read a book and, and you're going to, you're going to walk away and say, I hate that this person thought that, then, then I don't even know where to well, start. Well, you're even stopping short because what it denies is that we all have monstrous thoughts. Nobody I, I, doesn't have a monstrous thought. Yeah. The difference in is from us and our president is we don't act on them. <sighs> yeah. We understand, we try our hardest to separate the bad thought, right? A, a, a guy I know talks about st- standing in line sometimes and having the thought, I want to kill that person in oh, front yeah. of me. And saying, I have the thought, the guy said this about himself. He said, I have the thought in complete thought. I could kill that person. How dare yeah. he cut me in line? He goes, but of course, instead, I'm going to breathe out. Say you're an adult. Yeah. You're going to wait 30 seconds. You smile, buy a pack of gum and move on. Absolutely. You can't it's get part punished. Of maturing. For the, you can't it's be punished for the up. thought. In fact, yeah. recognizing the thought and acting differently is growing. Right. Right? I think. That's yeah. that's growth. And, that, and then that's what the show is about. It's about growth. It's about change. And so to criticize the mid-process uh, person who's struggling with these thoughts that they're not proud of, to criticize that is, I, I think it's un, unimaginable. And, and, I, and I, I don't know, I, I find it worrisome, actually, to, that when people start criticizing art like that. Yeah. I, I, I think I, it's anti-art. Yeah, I, I think it's just misunderstanding. Yeah, I think that person probably uh, got lazy. And just if you know, lazily sort of conflated the idea you were talking about with the reality. Yeah. And um, and then, but you know what? If it led to some rewrite on your part, yeah, so be it. So that's Great. part of the process. Yeah. And now you've taken that bullet out of their gun. Yeah. So I think that that's okay. Um, yeah. I'm all, gonna all all uh, I'm gonna all let, input is welcome. I am gonna <laughs> let Jen get the last word on something here, which is Jen. This idea that you guys are gonna continue this way, living your lives and then recording them mm-hmm. somehow changed, but for other people, does mm-hmm. that, and as Una gets older and more aware of all of it and a participant in it, yeah. how does that, how does that look to you? How does that feel to you? I don't think that's something that we want to do. Um, I actually never really write, um, the stuff that I usually write is really different than this, than, than Little Astronaut. And it's very different than what Mike does. I write just really far out weird stuff usually. I don't write um, autobiographical stuff. I don't write about my family usually. Um, so for me, this is a departure. For Mike, it's what he does um, and it's what he's been doing. So I think he's going to try to figure that out for himself. Um, I think he he's kind of grappling with that. And um, we have this idea that you know, a child can't give consent and therefore, um, you know, she's only in, in the new one as like the baby, you know, she doesn't really have a specific personality. Um, but as she grows up, I know Mike is trying to figure out like what's appropriate. Um, it's definitely 
something we were talking about, but I don't think it's we're going to be like a reality show. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, I'm, that's why that's part of the reason I'm considering not doing another autobiographical show. Then I'll be really excited to see what the next show is because I, I can't mm. picture you not getting up and telling stories for an hour and a half. Yeah, I don't know what that's going to be like either. But your last show, um, sorry, your last show was not so autobiographical. It wasn't really based on, it was, I wasn't really appearing in right. it. It was You like, were in it a little bit. A you little were in bit. a little bit with the story at the hotel with the cat or whatever, but. Oh, yeah. Massachusetts. I, yeah. I have an idea yes. of Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the way that I conceive of it currently is like that if I'm going to do another show that's autobiographical, that I would make it like a fifth of the overall content could involve Jen and Una, but but that a majority of it wouldn't. And, and that way it's not so focused on them that they become the the subject of of the piece. Yeah, I was watching Seinfeld talk about this on one of those comedians in cars things. And he, he was talking about Pryor and he goes, I don't really care whether the crack pipe actually talked to him or not. Yeah. What matters is that I, in the moment I'm watching it, believe it enough that I'm laughing at it and my state has changed. Yeah, I think that's true. And so I think that you can take that and run with it. Dude, uh, what a pleasure. I love you. I'm so happy to have you here. Jen, thanks for coming and talking. Thank you so much. And writing your book. Everyone go see the new one, which is the name of the show on Broadway. And uh, watch. Easy to remember, the new one.com. I've just learned it and I remember it. The new one.com. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks. Uh, Mike's on Twitter, very active. Um, go on there, argue with him about politics. <laughs> Tell him that uh, you, you love his, his show. <laughs> Jen, are you on the social media under your own name? I am on Twitter now, but I'm not very active on Twitter, but I am. What name are you under? I think if you look up, (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like J-Hope Stein or Poetry Crush at Poetry Crush. Stop promoting yourself like this. It's I mean, honestly, she's very very pushy. It's a little shameless. (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) 